Thank you all so much for joining us for another 21 News podcast. I'm Sydney Canty, and today we are covering a 50-year-old cold case out of Boardman, where a Bradley Bellino 12-year-old boy was killed, and his killer was not found for half a century. Now, Bradley was uh, walking home from a friend's house uh, back in 1972 in March, and he was trying to get back to his home on McClurg Road. He did not make it there. Instead, his body was found inside of a garbage can with a belt tied around his uh, neck, showing that he had been strangled and he was also sexually uh, assaulted. So I have here with me today um, the friend, a friend of Bellino, uh, who was actually with him on that day, uh, the last friend that saw him uh, during his life or on, his, on the last day of his life, uh, Mr. Don Templeman. Don, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. So, Don, first of all, I'm, I'm sorry that we're meeting on these, you know, these these terms in a situation that's like this, such a tragedy. Could you describe your best friend for me? I mean, what was that that last day like with him? Well, very typical for us. We would alternate spending the night at each other's houses. So the night before, I spent the night at his house out on McClurg Road. And uh, the next morning, the morning that he went missing, my mom went and picked us up and brought us to our house. And our typical days, we would walk over to the Isleys on South Boulevard. I think it was, it was the name of the road. And we would have a snack and a, and a birch beer. And then we would walk around the neighborhood and then go back to my house and you know, just kind of hang out. Okay, so uh, that that Izzy's, that dumpster near the Izzy's is actually where he was found, but that was an area that was familiar for you too, is what you're saying. No, that was a different Izzy's. Really? Yeah, yeah, that was the one on Boardman Canton Road, mm-hmm. uh, which is about a mile to our west. Uh, the Izzy's we went to is just to the outside of Applewood Acres, to the east. Okay. Um, it's just a, just a coincidence. Wow. Okay. Um, what, what, what was he like? What, what was your best friend? What did you guys, um, you know, connect on? Why were you best friends? What was he like? Well, it really started. We were, we, you know, we knew each other from school, but when we started playing baseball together, I was the pitcher and he was the catcher. And my dad was the coach of the rec team down in Boardman Park. So after school, we, w- we would ride the bus to our house and we would practice and then he would normally eat dinner at our house, and then my mom would take him home. And we did that pretty much every day. And then, um, you know, as the relationship developed, we just became just very close. We had a lot of things in common and a lot of things not in common. He was very gregarious, and I was kind of more laid back, or not laid back, but more shy. So, and he, he had two older brothers. And so he was more worldly than I was. So whenever we were in social situations, he was always the, you know, trying to set things up all the time, even though we were only 11 and 12. So what was uh, your favorite memory about him or with him? I would say just kind of wandering around the neighborhood or going to the mall and kind of hanging out at the mall. Uh, one of his older brothers played in the band and they practiced at his house up in the, like a finished attic. And we would go up there and watch his brother play in the band or practice. Also, his dad was a antique car collector. So he had two MGs 
and he would you know, take us out, and then there are two seaters. So Brad would have to sit on the hump between the two seats, and I would sit in the pasture seat and would put the top down and, and ride around town. That was also a big memory. Wow. So I I was reading up on, on you know a little bit about you and, and your friend, and um I, I I see here that you guys were known to hitchhike. Is that is that true? What's that? I saw in a in a story um that you guys were known to hitchhike, you and uh Brad. Well, I would say known for me was a, a stretch. Mm-hmm. I probably hitchhiked with them maybe two or three times at the most, but I didn't like it. So, and normally didn't need to because my mom would always drive me everywhere. But he hitchhiked often. And of course, back in those days, everybody hitchhiked pretty much. My sister was two years older. Her friends hitchhiked everywhere they went pretty much. Okay. Um, yeah, the police did not today at the at the press conference specify exactly how it went down. They don't know if he had gotten in the car with somebody or if he was just walking and grabbed. They don't know how that happened. But uh, yeah, we're just I guess just kind of talking about what happened during that time. So uh, tell me about that last day that you had with him. What did that last day look like? Well, again, it was just a typical day. Um, we went to Isley's, we hung out at the house, we you know played games. Um, and then he was supposed to be home at nine. Mm-hmm. Um, but at 7.30, he called his brother to see if he could spend the night. And his brother said he'd check with his dad. And then about 10 minutes later or so, he called back and said, uh, your dad's mad or dad said, no, you need to come home right now. So instead of staying till nine, my mom would have driven him home. He left at 730 because he wasn't a lot. I guess him asking if he could spend the night. They wanted him to come home before the nine, before nine o'clock when he was supposed to be home. Okay. So then he left and that was the last time you saw him. Yes. Uh, um, when you found out that he was missing, what, what was your reaction and what did you do? Well, what happened, and this is kind of. In, in what I've read, it's not accurate on what happened next. I went to bed at probably 9.30 or so. And at about 10 o'clock, my mom came up to my room and woke me up and said, do you know where Brad is? And I said, no, why? And she said, well, his brother called and said he never made it home. And that, that was about 10 o'clock on that night. Um. So then I laid there and thought about it for a while and went back to sleep. And when I woke up Saturday morning, uh, we found out that Brad had, or, you know, Brad had not made it home. So we went and drove along the route that he would have taken uh, to see if we could find him. And uh, didn't find him, obviously. Um, so I'm, I bet you were probably afraid, maybe a little confused, just hoping he was okay. Well, I knew something had to, bad had to have happened. You know, there was a lot of conjecture about him doing, you know, not wanting to go home and running away and being with different groups of people. But, you know, he was my best friend and he wouldn't have had, you know, anybody else that he would have gone to. If he wanted to run away, he would have run away with me or just stayed at my house. 
Describe the day you found out what happened. How long after the day you went searching for him did you find out that he was found, but that he was no longer alive? Well, all of that was really bad. I, uh, we had a good friend. One of my close friends' dad worked on the police force, and he was also friends with my parents. So when they found his body, they called my mom and told her, and then she called my dad, and he came home from work. And um, she went to the school to get me, but they told her in the office that they didn't want the kids to know, so they, they didn't want her to have me come home. And then I was in math class, a teacher named Mrs. Orr, and a teacher knocked on her door, and it was probably, I don't know, maybe 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. And they went out in the hallway, and there was like a group of them, maybe four or five teachers, and they all sounded like they were just chatting happily about something. And she came back in the room, and she said, I have some news. The Bellino boy's been found. And everybody in the classroom started clapping and cheering and was really excited. And then she said, but he's dead. And it was just incredible. I mean, just incredible. I don't really remember much from then until I got till getting home. But after that, I think I then went to the office and told him I wanted to call my mom. And then she came and got me. It's kind of what I remember. It was very kind of hazy at that point because of the emotion involved. Okay. So when your mother knew um, that this had happened and she called your dad and she came to the school to get you, was that that same day that the teacher said this in class? Yeah, it was, it was that same morning. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, he called the policeman called my mom literally, you know, probably within a half an hour, an hour of them finding him. Um, and then and then that's when she said, I'm going to go and pick you up, or I would have picked you up if they'd let me have you come down to the office. How did how did this make you feel? How did you handle I mean, you were a kid yourself. How did you handle news like that about your best friend? Yeah, I just turned 11. I mean, I was pretty young. And uh, uh, it was just devastating. I mean, you, it's kind of like between then and the funeral, it's just a complete blur. And the funeral was bad because it was an open casket and you could tell they'd been strangled. I mean, it was bad. And I wish I could go back and not have gone up to the casket if I had it to do over again. And that gave me nightmares. Yeah, it took a long time to get over it. We, um, a couple months later, moved to Tennessee because my mom and dad didn't want to stay in the area. Because first off, they never found who did it. Uh, So they thought it was unsafe. And then, of course, there was all the memories. So we moved to Tennessee just a few months after that. But it was probably a couple years to not think about it every day. So it haunted you for a little while. What's that? So it haunted you for a little while. Well, it haunts me today. I mean, it was very tough. And uh, one thing that was really sad is my mom took, picked him up and took him home every day for years. And she planned to take him home that night, but she went to the grocery store thinking he would be there at nine. And she blamed herself for it for her whole life. 
And right before she died, she said, I wish they had been able to solve this case just so I would have the comfort of knowing what happened. And she died in 2015. So not too far off. <laughs> it would have been better for her to have had closure on it. How do you feel now having closure, knowing who did this and, you know? Well, I think, I think it's good. There were some facts that um, I thought I remembered, but they told me when they, you know, briefed me that a couple of them weren't true. There was a lot of speculation, a lot of rumors going around at the time. So, um, fortunately, there were two things that I don't really want to talk about that got not to be true. Uh, so that's also much better. And the one thing I never understood is they had the autopsy results back very quickly. And they knew that he had eaten dinner at my house at around six. And they knew the food was still in the stomach. So he would have died around between eight and 10 PM. Uh, but they kept investigating him being other places, you know, days later and things. It was, I never understood that it was conclusive that he died Friday night and that, um, you know, why they pursued all those leads. They, um, they say they were, according to the press conference today, they were looking at every possible avenue to try to solve this and try to figure out who did it. And that, um, yeah, they talked about the food not being digested in his stomach yet, um, but they said the autopsy results and um, that was given to them were basically saying that he died on April 1st. Instead of like March 31st, like the day that he went missing. Yeah. So um it could be. I mean, obviously I'm not a doctor. Right. Uh, yeah. But it's it definitely wasn't he wasn't seen the next day hitchhiking or you know, two days later riding his bike. I mean, all those things were preposterous. Probably made you upset even hearing, you know, some of those things that were incorrect. Probably made you upset even hearing some of those things that were incorrect like that about your friend. Well, even even much later. I mean, they're in 2001, they reopened the case and they actually interviewed me. Um, I was actually at Disney on vacation with my kids and my wife, and they called me on my cell phone. So I had to go in my room, in our room, and talk to them. Um, and they also interviewed my parents again then when they reopened the case. And that, you know, brought it all back again. And then there's a lot of blogs and, and things where people were speculating what happened and in the beginning, I would go on and say that's not could not possibly have happened. But then after a while, it didn't change things. People still had to speculate and say things that couldn't possibly be true. Yeah. So I just after after a while stopped, you know, participating in it. Do you think that now that you have some closure, you would be able to not be haunted by this any longer? Or, or do you think this is something that's well, when it's top of mind, it's really tough. Um, I was actually at a doctor's appointment when they called me this morning. And um, and I told the doctor, I said, I really need to take this call. Um, but yeah, when at the time it's it's you're talking about it and it's top of mind, it's really disturbing and very upsetting. If you had known that was his very last day and, and your last day with him, uh, would you have done anything differently? Oh yeah, we would have thrown thrown a party. We uh, 
actually had a group of about seven or eight friends that we spent a lot of time with. Uh, but that last day was just the two of us. The other friends were doing other things. Um, and it would have been nice if everybody could have been there. You know, the other guys. Okay. Um, you have any uh, pictures of you and him? Any playing baseball or anything like that that we could have access to? You know, that's a good question. I'm sure we do. Um, my parents took lots of pictures, and plus they had an 8 millimeter uh, video camera back then. Um, and I've never actually thought to even go through the old pictures and look. But I'm sure there are. There has to be. Okay. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to uh, say about your friend before we end this podcast today? No, I just want to thank it's good to hear, you know, finally that some, you know, approximately something that happened um, um, and something I'll live with for the rest of my life. But at least there's I know who did it. Don't know why they did it. Um, I also know that now and I don't want to get into too much detail, but I know that he didn't he suffered very little compared to what they originally thought. And that was, you know, tough to think that he was tortured and, and you know, suffered a lot. So. Don, thank you so much for, for giving us some time today, especially to talk about a, such a sensitive topic. Thank you. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you all for listening.